Well, this morning we continue in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Coming close to the end, we're going to finish it this month. And that's good in that we've covered some incredible ground in the Scriptures. But it's not so good because I love these passages. And I'm going to miss the Sermon on the Mount. I pray you will too. But we will have plenty of other things to go to as we look into the month of December and then into a new year. And it's always good to gather together and open the Word of God. And that's what we will do today and next Sunday and every Sunday again until Jesus Christ comes. The Sermon on the Mount ends with quite a conclusion. There's four illustrations that Jesus gives us at the end of this sermon. Four vivid illustrations of what it means to take heed to what he has proclaimed to us. He tells us last Sunday about two gates that we can choose from. Today he's going to tell us about two trees or two types of prophet, if you will. Next Sunday he'll tell us about two professions with our mouth, Lord, Lord. And then the following final Sunday he will tell us about two foundations, rock and sand. And all of these or a call to us to respond rightly to what Jesus has taught us throughout this sermon. As I said last week, we looked at the narrow gate versus the wide gate. Remember, we saw that narrow gate was a hard path to take. That narrow gate was, not sparse, was sparsely populated. It wasn't full of many people. But that narrow gate and that hard way and that sparsely populated way Jesus tells us leads to life, and we're all looking for life. He told us that wide gate was an easy way, and it was a crowded way, but it led to destruction, and none of us in our heart of hearts is seeking destruction. This Sunday, we look at Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Turn with me there as we look at what Jesus says about two different types of trees. And here's what he says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Before we continue, let's pray. Father, show us what Jesus intends for us to understand and walk away from this morning with a grip on. Father, help us to be a discerning people that is able to discern between a false prophet and a true messenger of yours. Father, to the degree that I feel inadequate this morning to preach, would you step in? Father, to the degree that I do feel adequate this morning, would you step in? Would you take over here and would you unfold your scriptures using me? Yes, but would you be the one that does it so that you can be glorified and we can be rightly taught this morning? And I pray this In the name of Christ, amen. Jesus starts this passage with a word that he used back in in the first verse of chapter 6. Beware. 
And I want to tell you this morning that when we see the word beware in the Bible, especially when it comes from the mouth of our Christ, we need to beware. We need to edge up to the front of our seats. And we need to get ready to understand what he is warning us of. I'm telling you, Jesus does not use the term beware often. When he does, he means it. He reserves this term for very urgent teachings. And I say to you this morning, I come to you with an urgent message. He warns us about false prophets. And I want to make sure that we understand who a prophet is within the context of this passage before we move on. There is some confusion about this term prophet, even in our day. A prophet is not someone that tells the future in the context that Jesus is talking about. This is not a future teller, and he's not telling us to beware of people that just talk to us about the future. Because there's plenty of prophets that talk about the past, and they do it wrongly, and they're called false. A prophet technically is a person, a messenger, on behalf of someone else. And in biblical terms, a prophet is one who comes and speaks to God's people on behalf of God. That's what a prophet is here. A messenger from God who speaks the words of God. In the past, this included the likes of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses and Daniel and Malachi and on and on and on. In the present, this includes pastors, missionaries, authors of books, posters of tweets and Facebook updates. Brothers and sisters carrying the gospel to one another. We need to beware of people that speak on behalf of God falsely. Beware, Jesus says. Prophets of old were given new revelations from God to deliver to his people. Prophets today are taking previous revelations from God to prophets of old and declaring them to God's people. Prophets today point God's people to what God has already declared. Prophets today, there is no prophet today that gives a new utterance from the Lord. The Lord completed all of his communication for God's people here. And so prophets today represent God by saying, let's look at what God has already said. Let's apply what God has already said to our lives here today. The canon of Scripture has been closed. If anyone adds to this or takes away from this, may he be accursed. So we are different prophets today. We don't speak a new revelation of God. And Jesus warns us about false prophets because false prophets in and of themselves are deceivers. And in this passage, he tells us, That they appear to us to be sheep. They look to be part of God's flock, part of God's community, but they're not. He uses vivid language here. He says, instead, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They use Christian language, they use Christian tactics, Christian facilities. They speak in Christianese. And all the resources they do look Christian. Yet they twist and deceive their audiences. Right and left for sordid gain. 
in context, if you look at what Jesus has just told us in the Sermon on the Mount, a false prophet, get this, a false prophet stands at the wide gate and urges us to come through this easy path where all the people are. And he's urging us to destruction. That's what a false prophet does. A true prophet stands at the narrow gate and points us down this hard path and says, even though there's not many there, at the end of its life. So we need to understand false prophets in light of two gates. And the false prophets are standing at that wide one, beckoning us to come. And we must not go. We must beware. You know, I mentioned earlier, you, you can imagine this from the pulpit in some of the churches in America. There's plenty of false prophets in the pulpits. There's plenty of false prophets in the mission field. Tragically, they've gone out and they are deceiving. And I'm going to tell you this morning that there is a, an abundance of false prophets in the Christian bookstores. There's an abundance of false prophets on Twitter and Facebook. I read stuff on Facebook and Twitter that makes me cringe, and it's all I can do to not blast them in a comment. If anything, you want to say, beware of this post, and just leave it at that. It's everywhere. It's prevalent. I'll give you an example. We have authors that write about their 90 minutes in heaven. But they don't write us about the way you get to heaven, Jesus Christ. And the, the, the overflowing of their ministry is about heaven, heaven, heaven. And they, they neglect the fact that we get to heaven through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets there except through him. And so we have an, a, an abundance of people that believe in heaven, but they don't believe in the Christ that gets us to heaven. And we'll see next week a horrifying passage where Jesus will say to those I never knew you. Lord, Lord, I, I believed in your heaven. Yeah, but you didn't believe in my son. We have authors that tell us that we can have our best life now. And they don't tell us how we can have our best life for eternity in Jesus Christ. And it's a bunch of human logic about being happy and peaceful and restful and rich. And it's all temporary because moths and rust are going to destroy all that stuff and thieves are going to break in and steal it. So we have to be careful when we go to the bookstores, when we go to Amazon.com, we have to be careful about who we are buying and who we are reading. And we need to read with this in our right hand. Every book, even by the best, most faithful authors, we read like this. Okay? Beware of false prophets. Because they can lurk here. There's not a false prophet warning here. The Bible is full of history about full false prophets. In fact, th this Bible is, is really about two messages. And people are buying one of two messages throughout the history of the Bible. I want to show you the very first false prophet in the history of history. He's a serpent. He's found in Genesis chapter 3. And he speaks, on behalf of God, twisted things. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
We know that's not what God said, is it? God said you cannot eat of only one tree of all the rest you can eat. He says, did God not actually say you shall eat only? I'm sorry. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. That's not right either. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. False prophet right there speaking on behalf of God. You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. That is a false prophet who contradicts what God has said clearly and represents himself as one who is speaking on behalf of God. So false profiting began in Genesis chapter 3. And it is found in page after page after page through the rest of this Bible. Let me take you to the New Testament. I'm going to give you a New Testament picture of false prophets that have come up within the church. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse uh, 29. Paul is telling the elders in Ephesus, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Paul calls them fierce wolves. Jesus called them ravenous wolves. They're in the church in Acts chapter 20. They were in the garden. He was in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Peter's writing. That was Paul speaking in, in, in Acts. Here's Peter speaking. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master, capital M, the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Beware of false prophets. Those two passages I just read, there's some common denominators here. The first one is, where do false prophets come from? In both of those verses, they come from amongst the people. These are not ravenous wolves that are going to kick in those doors over there and walk in here and start breathing venomous false heresies all over us. No, they're subtle and they come in from amongst us and they raise up and they do what? They speak twisted things and their desire is to drag you and me away from the truth. Their desire is to take us through the wide gate to destruction. Oh, we've got to beware of these false prophets. They are incredibly dangerous. You know, when it comes to false prophets, there's a really good passage of Scripture that I think speaks to pastors and congregants. And I want us to turn there. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Please turn there with me as we look at this instruction that Paul's giving to Timothy in the church that he is shepherding. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll spend a pretty good amount of time here. And I'm going to take us to an Old Testament application here in just one moment. 1 Timothy chapter 2 Timothy chapter 4. There's one in every crowd. And boy, did we need him this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
Let's look first at verses 1 and 2. This is instruction that Paul is giving to Timothy, and and indirectly he's giving this kind of instruction to pastors, to prophets, those that speak of what God has already said. That's what I'm doing here this morning. Paul says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So Paul is speaking to pastors here, to elders, to Timothy, and he charges us in the presence of Jesus Christ that we are to preach the word, what God has said. Do it unwaveringly. Do it without stopping. Do it unapologetically. Do it boldly. Do it lovingly. Be ready in season and out of season means do it always. You never want to hear my personal opinions about things in life. You want to hear God's take and God's instruction. You need to pray that that's all I bring to you. You need to pray that it would get washed out of me, any of my personal pet peeves, and I would only come to you as humbly as I can and say, Thus saith the Lord. He says, reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience in teaching. Not not angrily, but with patience and with a teacher's heart. I want you to learn what the Lord has for you in this book called the Bible. So I'm going to do it in season and out of season. Patiently. But let's read on in this passage because there's some instruction for the flock as well. And there's a challenge here for this congregation and for me. Verse 3, for the time is coming, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. May that never, may that never be true of anybody sitting in this room. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Translation, they will accumulate for themselves false prophets. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Beware of even your desire to accumulate false prophets who will itch your itching ears. The time is coming, Paul says, where there's people that are not going to endure sound teaching. I think that time has come in the past, it's coming in the present, it will come in the future until Jesus Christ comes again. There is a propensity in people to want to hear what they want to hear, thus their itching ears get soothed. And we are warned by Christ, and we are challenged by Paul here to not be a people like that. We are to beware of this condition. It lurks within us, and there's those lurking amongst us that could be raised up by the adversary to drag us off believing twisted things. There's a biblical example of this. It's a shocking example, and if you, I say this often, if you read the Bible too quick, you don't stop and ponder the shocking reality of what we read in the Bible. I want to show you this. Let's look at 1 Kings 22. 
And this time I do mean first. First Kings 22. We've got Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel has been split. We've got Judah and Israel. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Ahab is the king of Israel. And they are working out a plan together. They are plotting to attack Syria at Ramoth Gilead. And they are going to try to recapture. And Ahab, we get a conversation between Ahab and Jehoshaphat that merits our consideration. Starting in 1 Kings 22, verse 5. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. We're making plans to go into battle. Let's inquire of the Lord whether or not we should do this and whether or not it will go well for us. Verse 6. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, 400 prophets, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? So we've got two kings. One assembles the prophets. There's 400. They say, Go, it's going to be good for you. But something is not ringing right with Jehoshaphat. And so they go on in verse 8. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. I don't like that prophet because that prophet doesn't tell me what I want to hear. And my desires are very important and very urgent to be met. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. And then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Wow. Two kings seeking the Lord before they go into battle. 400 prophets. Thumbs up, king. Let's go do this. Jehoshaphat says, how about let's give one more opinion. And it's Micaiah. And Ahab hates him because he doesn't like what he tells him. Well, Micaiah prophesies bad news for the Lord. I'm condensing some of this passage. And look at what happens in verse 18. After Micaiah has prophesied bad for the king Ahab, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you? That he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? See, I told you I hated him for a reason, because I don't like what he says. And yet, what has the king totally forgotten here? A prophet is one who speaks on behalf of the Lord. There are people that hate the preaching of the word of God because it doesn't match with their desires for what they should be doing in life. I've said this often. We need to conform our lives to the Bible. But so often, the temptation is to conform the Bible to our lives. Ahab has assembled 400 prophets that will speak to him good and happy prophecies. And he is not out to get the raw truth from the word of God. 
And when he gets it, he hates it. I pray that there's no one in this room, there's no one that will hear this sermon that is a person who says, I don't like the Bible preached because it says things that I don't want to conform to. Because that's what Ahab said. And watch what he does. As a result of this, he gets angry. And he says in verse 26, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. Lock him up. Don't want him. Stiff arm him. Not taking that word from the Lord. And if you read on in this story, you'll see that Ahab goes into battle and what Micaiah prophesied happened and the people are scattered. Destruction is upon them. That wide gate did prove to deliver them into a disastrous position. It was a narrow gate. Micaiah is the only one that prophesied badly. And it was a hard way to go to believe Micaiah's prophecy. And it would have led to life if he would not have gone into battle. But instead, he said, I don't like the message. I want to conform the message to my life, not my life to the message. Ahab wanted everything happy. He didn't want reality. And he does not appreciate the urgency of his time. You and I live in urgent times. We don't need to desire happy We need to desire truth, and lots of times it's happy. (laughs) When we open the Bible, there are a lot of times that we have happy messages. This is not just a rant every Sunday morning. But there are times when you and I individually, unlike other people sitting next to us, are confronted with things in our lives that do not conform to the Word of God. And when we have those moments, we need to test them to make sure we're hearing truth And when we discover that this is truth and my life is not in line with it, we need to embrace it and say, I've been warned of disaster and I'm going to be able to avoid it by getting my life right with Christ. I pray often. I pray every week this phrase. I pray as I prepare for sermons. I prayed this morning as I prepared this morning even. Father, would you comfort the afflicted through this message? And would you afflict the comfortable through this message? I want you all to know my one little piece of my secret prayer life. I pray that if you are comfortable here living in sin with comfort and defying God's commands, I pray that God would afflict you in one of these sermons. Because by afflicting you, He's disciplining you, and that's proving that He loves you, and He's calling you to come back. You went through the wide gate. I need you to come back, because now we can go through this narrow gate. I pray that. And I know some of you in here are hurting. You've not lived in sin, but you've had circumstances in your life, and I pray that God would comfort you through these sermons. And many of you, like me, during the week, in some areas of my life, I need to be afflicted because I am comfortable living with a wrong heart. And then other areas of my life, I need to be comforted. (laughs) That's us, isn't it? 
We all need to be afflicted and we all need to be comforted. So I pray that God, through the preaching of his word, would do both of those things in our lives every time we gather. Wednesday night, 9 o'clock, Sunday morning, right now, tonight at 6.15. Random times when we meet in town for breakfast or lunch. Would he afflict us and comfort us in the areas that we need both of those? So we have here a biblical example of a man who had itching ears. And he wanted somebody to itch him. And Micaiah did not soothe his itch. And so he shuns him and moves away from him and gets him out of his life. May we not be like that. I don't ever want to scratch your itching ears. And I don't want you to scratch my itching ears. We together need to urge one another to seek the true word of the Lord in all circumstances. So let's move on. How in the world will we know if we're dealing with a false prophet? That's If we're told to beware, and if we're told that they're going to come in from amongst us, they're not going to bust the doors down, how are we going to be aware that, lo and behold, we've got a false prophet standing against? Well, Jesus says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. What does that mean, fruits? He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. You will know them by their fruits, he says. You know, from a distance, a thorn bush, there's a buckthorn that was in Jesus' time in the area that he was. It's called a buckthorn plant, and it has berries on it that from a distance look like a grape. But when you get up close and you inspect, you see thorns and you go, grapevines don't have thorns. I'm not dealing with grapes. There's a thistle that has a bloom that looks like the bloom of a fig tree from afar. But when you get up, there's no fig there to eat. You have to inspect them by their fruits. And you have to inspect them from a close distance. I want to give you the telltale signs of a false prophet but the first thing I want to do is I want to tell you, I did, a, I did a quick survey of the New Testament, and I want to share with you the descriptors that the New Testament authors were inspired to use when describing a false prophet. And get this, I don't think I've exhausted the New Testament, but I came up with 31, 31 flavors of false prophets. Let me just run through them real quick. In Matthew 7, 15 through 20, they're called ravenous wolves or a diseased tree. In Acts 20, 29, fierce wolves. Listen to all of these in Titus 1, 9 through 2, 1. They're called insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, defiled, unbelieving, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work, puffed up with conceit, understanding nothing. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 14, they're called false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguised apostles, servants of Satan. In Jude 12, 13, 12 through 13 and 16, they're called waterless clouds. That's vivid. We can identify with that out here, can't we? Don't you hate it when clouds come and we need rain so bad our stock tanks are empty and they don't rain and they move on? That's a false prophet. Think about that every time it doesn't rain when it shows promise. 
So they're called waterless clouds, fruitless trees. They're twice dead. They're uprooted. They're wild waves of the seas. They're grumblers. They're malcontents. They're loud-mouthed boasters. They're favoritists. And they're advantage seekers. Listen to this language that the New Testament authors use for false prophets. 2 John 7 through 11, they're called antichrists. There's 31. And I don't think I've exhausted it, but I think we see the point. And let me tell you, there are many, many passages. There are many paragraphs of Scripture devoted to false prophets in the New Testament alone. The Old Testament's full of them as well. We need to beware because they are prevalent and everywhere to be found. Everywhere to be found. So here's the telltale signs of a false prophet. They never speak of biblical doctrine or rarely speak of biblical doctrine. Instead, they base much of what they say on human logic. If they do speak of biblical doctrine, their lives don't reflect it. And you walk away from hearing them speak and observing them live, and you're really confused because you're not sure who that is. That guy's got an identity crisis because what's coming out of his mouth is not matching up with his life. They emphasize fellowship and hanging out, and they de-emphasize the teaching and preaching and proclamation and application of the truth to our lives. And it's really just one big social club. Those tend to be false prophets. They proclaim peace, peace, when they should be proclaiming to us danger, danger. They are very vague and ambiguous when asked questions of spiritual issues. And you don't really know what their answer was because you really couldn't understand. It was just too vague. They use many words when addressing an issue, but you walk away with nothing to hang your hat on. And oftentimes, from personal experience, a false prophet majors on the minor things and minors on the major things. Okay? They may major on their 90 minutes in heaven, but they minor on Jesus Christ is the only way to get there. Man, I watch that and say, I'm backing away. I don't see enough Jesus here. And in the end, they talk about the Bible, but they don't talk from the Bible. That's a big one. You need a man or a prophet speaking from here, not about here. It's a telltale sign of a false prophet. And I'm going to tell you, False prophets are almost always, I might even remove the word almost from that sentence, false prophets are always exposed. They are always exposed at some point. Many, many deceive people for a time. But their actions will eventually and ultimately reveal where their heart truly is. They can dazzle us and wow us with words and strategies and results. We're results-driven people. If we see results, he's a good prophet. Not true. Not true. 
We can be dazzled by these words and strategies and results. And we can be dazzled right through the wide gate that leads to destruction. Ultimately, their ethics and their morals will certainly, certainly, certainly be revealed. Especially when they're put under the fire and they're tested in trials. So just as the false prophet does not urge people through the narrow gate, he fails himself to go through the narrow gate. And you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their path. You will know them by their gate. You will know them by their end. Ultimately, the fruit that prophets bear is character. That's the fruit. We're looking for character that lines up with the Bible in the prophet that we are encountering. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you cannot counterfeit character. You can counterfeit money, all kinds of things in this world. We can make synthetic drugs, right? Those are fake. Synthetic is not the real deal. We can make all kinds of things synthetically to imitate something. You cannot have synthetic character, counterfeit character. Impossible. Impossible. In the end... Over time, doctrine and character always line up. What we say is what we believe, and what we believe is what we do. And so you will know them by their fruits. And we look in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and we know that the character that we should look for in a prophet, one who speaks on behalf of the Lord, what has already been declared by the Lord, Let me tell you what the character is that we're looking for. We're looking for poor in spirit. We're looking for one that mourns over sin. We're looking for someone that's meek, biblically meek, not wimpy meek, but biblically meek. We're looking for one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. We're looking for one that's merciful. We're looking for one that's pure in heart. We're looking for a peacemaker. And yes, we're looking who, for one who will dare to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see those signs? You see one that's willing to be persecuted for truth's sake? You don't have a false prophet. A false prophet is exposed the minute persecution comes. Am I right? Am I right? A false prophet is exposed the minute persecution comes because he will not dare be persecuted for a lie. But if you believe it to be true, you'll be persecuted for it. You'll be passionate for it. And you will be equipped by the Lord to endure such persecution. So we see the character of a true prophet embedded right here in the Sermon on the Mount in the first opening passages, the Beatitudes. So we need to look to those that we're reading, that we're hearing from. And we need to say, do I see the Beatitudes evidenced in their life? That's a fair test. And guess what? We're fallen. So we're gonna, there's going to be a moment that I'm not going to be merciful. <laughs> but is there a moment that I'm repentant over that? Because one of the fruits that we are to bear is Repentance. So if you see repentance, you uh, yeah, he's flesh. I don't follow him totally. I follow the chief shepherd he's pointing me to because that one's never going to fall on mercy. 
but he does, and so, but he's repenting. So, okay, I see good fruit in this prophet's life. So we need to be looking intentionally for fruit, and the inspecting glass that we look through is the Bible. It's not, you know, Ahab saw the fruit of Micaiah, and he called it bad fruit. That's because Ahab did not look through this lens to discern what kind of tree Micaiah was. So we always look at our prophets through the Word of God. All right, last point. What will become of the false prophets and their followers? Jesus says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That is eternal judgment language. And false prophets must be duly warned. A false prophet will be cut down and thrown into the fire for all of eternity. In a congregation of people or people that are reading authors, be warned. If we buy what the false prophets are proclaiming, we too will become a tree that bears bad fruit. And we too will be cut down and thrown into the fire for all of eternity. This is an urgent urgent issue. Thus, Jesus says, beware. Beware. Eternity is at stake. The end of the line is being cut down and thrown into the fire. And that's the end of the line of the path that goes through the wide gate. It's an easy way filled with a lot of people that ends in destruction. So the question that we leave here this morning with is, how do we protect ourselves from false prophets? Yeah, I need to know them by their fruits. How am I going to discern their fruits? How am I going to be protected by these ravenous wolves? Two ways. We will read the Word of God. We will devour the Word of God. We will feast on the Word of God so that it is running through our veins running through our heart, pumping into our minds. And we will memorize the Word of God so that when we don't have it with us, it's with us. Let me tell you, I've got a tale of two Bible readers this week. This very week, I had someone tell me, I'm not a reader, and I'm not going to read the Bible because I don't like reading. And I depend on preachers to do the reading for me by preaching sermons that I can listen to. That person is in danger of falling in line with a false prophet because he says, I'm not reading this. Very same week, two days later, I have someone tell me, I just finished reading the entire Bible on the chronological calendar that you urged us to read, Edward, back in January. And what a great experience that was, and I can't wait to do it again. And I said, do it again right now. And do it again, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again until you don't draw breath anymore or Jesus Christ comes back. Two Bible readers. One says, no thanks. I'm depending on you. The other says, I devoured it. What's next? I'm going to go get it again.
And I'm telling you, we cannot say, I'm not interested in reading the Bible. Because if we say that, we will fall prey to false, ravenous wolves called false prophets. False prophets want us to neglect the Bible so that they can teach us what they want us to believe. And I want to end this this morning by telling you about the true, true prophet, the ultimate true prophet. His name is Jesus Christ. He preached this sermon that I am declaring to you this morning, the Sermon on the Mount, greatest preacher ever to live, greatest sermon ever to be proclaimed. And he is the true prophet. You're not listening to my words here this morning. I pray that you are listening to Christ who tells us to beware. And he's a prophet that's worthy of listening to. Because he endured persecution for righteousness' sake. To the point of death, even death on a cross in your place. He went through the narrow gate. He is poor in spirit. He did mourn over the sins of the world. He is merciful. He hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And on and on and on. And I plead with you this morning... To not admire Jesus' teaching here about beware of false prophets. Because there will be plenty of people that admire the Sermon on the Mount in hell. I want you to admire the preacher of this Sermon on the Mount. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is worthy of you coming back to again and again and again. To feed on the truth of God so that you can be saved and live eternally with him. Let's pray.